A couple of Huskies of Honor join us this morning. One is here now. The other one is going to be here soon. Tony Hansen and D. Rowe. Tony played for D. Rowe at the University of Connecticut, and now he's gone on to establish himself with quite a career coaching youngsters in England. And I've known Tony since his playing days at the University of Connecticut, and my pleasure to get Tony back in our studio. He does come to visit quite often because he's got Willimantic ties here. But, Mr. Hansen, thank you for coming in this morning. Tell us where you were, what, 24 hours ago. Thanks, Randall. Yep, uh, northeast of England. Uh, my my area is called uh, the Tees Valley, and um, jumped on a plane out of Newcastle, and, you know, for several reasons. Uh, one is to actually meet up with Coach, so I was really I was really glad to hear that he might he, he should be here tonight today. Um, very unusual for him to be uh, running late because that's a switch role reversal. I'm the one he's always kicking, ready to kick butt, but uh, I'm sure he'll be here when he, when he can. But you're not late anymore. That was just your playing days, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Grow up well, a little bit. Well, and he's been fighting some some cancer. The latest one is melanoma. So you know he gets a pass, but he okay. should be here for later on today. Update us from your playing days, Tony, about what you've been doing in England. You talked about the the, the Tees Valley Mohawks, but uh, that's been quite a career for you, hasn't it? Oh yes, um, I've been very fortunate to actually be involved in a, a club with a lot of tradition back in the '60s and '70s. Unbelievably, uh, basketball um, was actually quite big in, in England. Um, after Dr. James Naismith invented the game, he actually brought it to England and created a, a, a similar game for for the women called netball. But, but with the YMCA, basketball has been around for a long time in the UK. Unfortunately, the commercial side of it is a, a bit lacking, so it's a, it's a lot of, of um, from the heart. You know, if you love the game, it's a very big grassroots sports. A lot of young people play it in school, and uh, and um, and uh, the the talent is getting much better. And clubs like ours help that process. What age group are we talking about? Well, I I coach the men's. Uh, they're they're like semi professionals. Um, I've been doing that for the last twenty five years now, and I've kind of passed the mantle down to one of my former players, uh, Steve Butler, who runs things now um, for the senior team. I kind of, I'm kind of like Coach Rowe in a way. I'm in the background wheeling and a dealing and uh, trying to keep things running. And the level of competition, would you compare them to, say, a good college team, or how good are these players? Um, you you do find some exceptional players, um, um, you know, from time to time. I think, um, you know, I would say a good Division two, low Division one level for the top clubs. Um, but it's more of an exposure league for the better players, the likes of E.J. Harrison, who who was one of the UConn members of the maybe no, the, the first the ninety nine championship. championship yeah. yeah, well that that's the kind of thing. E.J. has um, you know always had that talent, and um, a, a country like England has given him the opportunity to play for the last fourteen years. And a country like England gave you the opportunity to really establish a career there. What was the connection in the first place to you going to and staying in England? Well, it was kind of the culmination of my uh, European career. I um, having been fortunate to uh, have played ball in, in the bigger countries like uh, Italy and France. And um, I got a chance to, you know, to, to, to actually get my feet wet as a player coach, you know, during my um my my late my late stages of playing so um, that started the the ball rolling with the semi-professional type of um, coaching 
And um, obviously, uh, when I hung up the boots, I was able to stay on with the club and help it develop and help them win a lot of championships. You do come back here a lot. I just saw you here in July when you came down to the studio. You visited our mutual friend, Ed Vining, who's sitting here in the studio. But Ed's, Ed's groaning now. He doesn't want me to mention his name. But he's, he's, he's why one reason why you're here for today. Yeah. But I know you come back because of UConn. And really, when you go to the UConn campus, it's the first place you visit, Gamble. Absolutely. I think, um, but now there's a bit of competition, so I think uh, we might be walking across the road and going to see the, what's it called, the Center of uh, Ch the uh, Champions? Yeah, the, 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 they just named it a few weeks ago, the, the, the Worth family. The Worth family, yes. The, uh, yeah. the, the, the Champion Center. Yes. Now, have you been in that already? Uh, yes. Uh, Coach Rowe made sure that we got in early before it was actually finished uh, in July. And uh, it was, it's amazing, so I can only imagine what it is now as it gets more pro progressively better. Well, the reason I mentioned your visit and the connection of our pal Ed here is that you do have some Willimantic connections. You come to this area a lot. Does that date back to your playing days? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's one of the reasons I've kind of settled in the area, the Yukon connection. You're only six, seven miles from the Yukon campus. I think... Um, that's one of the reasons um, I've, I've settled in. The, the, the people around are fantastic. Um, I met Ed and his family um, when he was only 13 years old. So these are the kind of things that, um, that I, I felt that I wanted to, to build a home here. And um, my mother actually retired, and we built her a home in Wyndham. Um, you know, and, and she feels she felt the same way before she passed. That you know she's able to relax, and you know the Wyndham community is fantastic. And um, just being close to to the Yukon uh, family makes me feel you know very special. Did you or are you involved in town politics as well? <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. Uh, coming from someone <laughs> who was Mr. A A A political. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I am. My first encounter with politics in the town, I was actually um, rehabilitating from an injury during my playing days, and I uh, had a chance to coach and teach at at, at uh, Wyndham Wyndham High School, and uh, someone came up with a bright idea that I should run for one of the assembly positions, and I said, "Why not?" and um, didn't have a clue, uh, you know, didn't know uh, what it was all about with all this bickering between them, uh, the, the parties. But Well, I'm glad that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but all I knew is that um, I, I, I think I could help, and, and um, it was a great experience being part of the council and uh, assemblyman, and I, I would never look back on that. You weren't involved in politics back in your days on Bronson Street in Waterbury? Oh, it's a bit tough around there. The kind of politics you work around there is trying to stay healthy and stay safe and trying to get out of there, you know. Now, you come here often. Do you back, go back to the old town in Waterbury and visit people back there? I did when my mother was based there. My mother had a little small um, grocery store, but um, since she's kind of retired, um, I do. Um, there's some basketball connections there. Um, you know, there was a, a community center called Pearl Street with a guy called Hubie Williamson who does a lot of great work with young people in, in, in the city, and I try to keep in touch with his network of um, uh, coaches and, and, and people that are involved. And by the way, uh, I know where you were back in April in North Texas. Did you enjoy watching that national championship game? Absolutely, Wayne. Um, and I would like to publicly... Um, um, I state my uh, appreciation because um, I, I slipped and let Eddie know that I was going to get a chance to uh, to see them play for the first time in years. 
and um, and Eddie kind of slipped it down the line, and um, I think he let you know. Next thing I know, I'm being upgraded from the nosebleed seats to uh, <laughs> to where all the big shots are, and I'm like, oh, so this is how it works with all the, with the new the new UConn. <laughs> That Huskies of Honor thing was special. A lot of colleges, Tony, have halls of fame, but UConn began the Huskies of Honor in 2007. Can you flash back to when they first told you you'd be in the Huskies of Honor, and then what that night with all those greats back in the building was like for you? Oh, it was amazing. Um, I mean, I, the concept was um, unique and innovative. Um, I, I just felt uh, very honored to be part of it, part of the first the first trench. Um, all the guys that were there obviously had a lot to, you know, to, to offer in terms of the history of the UConn basketball. So I felt fantastic being in their company and sharing that moment with them. We talked about how you like to go to Gamble when you first go back to campus, but can you tell some stories about what it was like playing in the old field house? It's been renovated now, but the old field house was really a five-star pit for the opponents, wasn't it? Absolutely. Um, it was one of the hardest places for any opposing team to come in. Uh, the crowd, um, the, the, the five, 6,000 or seven or 8,000 when I let them in the back door, um, it was amazing because they're right on the floor and, uh, you know, they're right in your face. By the way, the list of capacity is 4,600. <laughs> so there's a few people that came in the back door, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but that was the, that was the whole the whole concept. It was the, the, it was great having the, the, someone come into the pit because they knew they had to work really hard to play against us. Well, back me up to your days playing at Holy Cross in Waterbury. You know, you you were all state and obviously a highly recruited athlete. And you, I've seen you quoted as saying that you had a couple hundred schools coming after you. So, how did UConn eventually be the one that was the college of choice for you as far as your basketball career is concerned, and maybe your academic career too? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it all boiled down to one individual, um, Coach Rowe, wasn't selling me a whole bunch of crap, you know. He was he was actually saying that he was going to do A, B, and C, and he promised that. He promised that he would make sure that himself and, and his coaching team and the academic team would actually be committed to me. And... Um, and because of that, you know, he it was a different selling point. And I think that's been his history. He has a way of selling UConn basketball. Speaking of the devil, guess Coach who's, Rowe. Guess, guess who's walking in? Coach Rowe, another guy who's got his, num his name actually up on the wall at Gamble as a Husky of Honor. Coach Rowe, we're really appreciative of having him in today because this gentleman has uh, been undergoing some radiation treatment for melanoma. And I know it's awfully early for you, Coach Rowe, to be joining us this morning, but you had to come in to see this guy, didn't you? I had to see Anthony. And, Ed, Anthony, you are here. It's unbelievable. All well, the way from England, and we're right here in Willimantic. He just flew in yesterday, and boy, his arms are tired. <laughs> Yeah. Now, he was just telling the story about why he came to UConn, and he just sang your praises about how you sold him a bill of goods and you delivered. Give your version. Was this why? guy really number one on your radar when he was being recruited? Oh, yeah, without question. Without question, yeah. He was the best here, and he got to be the best player in this part of the country. New England Player of the Year. Yeah, yeah. and uh, very proud of all that Anthony has done. Inclu very, including very cutting his hair? No, the hair looks so much better than it did. He, you know, we we grew up in a time that you had to have long hair, and, and he he thought there's a picture in in uh, Gamble that is so spectacular. 
In fact, I even have sideburns. I must have been getting in a. I, I was part of the dance. Was at sucking that you in, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to get accepted by the players, actually. Huh. How'd that work out? Well, let me ask Tony that. Obviously, from what you've said today, yeah. the players, at least you, certainly accepted this guy. Oh, absolutely. And as Coach said, it was a um, change in times, and uh, Coach was right in the middle of it. We were very fortunate to have someone um, of his understanding of a lot of the issues. Um, me personally, um, as young and rambunctious as I was, I needed someone like that in my life, and uh, that's part of the promise. He promised me that he would stick by me thick and thin. He promised me an education. He promised me that his coaching staff would uh, be there and make sure that I grow, not only as a basketball uh, player, but as a person and the academic staff, and that he had a really good relationship with the academic staff. And uh, bless his uh, soul, is uh, uh, Dr. Papanico was my mentor and my advisor, and they were like, they were like two, two. He was so proud. Uh, yes. Papi was so proud. And uh, I wish that he were here today to see the finished product, because uh, Papi worked he, he he was a guy that cared about kids, truly loved kids, cared about kids, and always wanted to help. And he was a great mentor for Anthony. Great. Tony said he was rambunctious. Would you describe him as rambunctious, D? Everybody was rambunctious but me. <laughs> I, I was, I forget, I, I might have been about 40, 40 some years old at the time. I, I was uh, much less rambunctious than I might have been. Uh, when when these kids grew up, it was the toughest of times. I mean, bomb scares, pickets, strikes, boycotts, uh, Vietnam, anti-God mother country. It was a terrible, terribly difficult time for kids to grow. And and uh, I'm so proud of what has, this guy has become and what he's done with his life. Yeah, I think the students at that time were kind of taught to fight authority and, and be rebels and so forth. And obviously you had to deal with that when you're trying to control them on the basketball court. What, what's, what's crazy, Wayno, <clears throat> my dad enlisted, I, I remember December 7th, 1941, uh, you listen to the radio. And it's, it's, you know, about supper time or whatever, listen to the radio with family. And it was Pearl Harbor. And within a month, my dad at 39 had enlisted, and he was gone from home a good part of the next three years after he went in. And and that was a whole different time. You know, everybody was in such support of uh, our country. And, and then back when Tony was going to school, it was a whole different time. Everybody was, I shouldn't say everybody, but it was an anti-God-mother country time. It was very, very difficult. Uh, I was a burnout at 48, and uh, I regret that, but it was what it was. And uh, uh, Burnout as a head coach. You have never burned out, D. Well, thank you. Uh, that, that, my, that Husky of Honor thing on the wall at Gamble kind of shows that. Well, thank you. I, I'm grateful for that, very grateful. But my uh, roommate of 60 years drove me down here today because I haven't been able to drive for three months. And... Uh, she drove. We didn't hit anybody, and uh, we had a, we had a great trip from stores to Willie. Well, uh, you're legions of fans, and now there are legions. There's no more of those Roe must go things. 
No, I, I think they, they forgot about those, although <laughs> I only had seven kids, and uh, they they loved watching that. They weren't sure that their father was going to get fed anymore, or that they were going to get fed anymore, but I, I was making so much money. I think I came here for 16600 that they said I'd be the highest paid coach in New England. I don't know what that meant, but it, <laughs> that's not a lot of groceries to educate seven kids. I know that. Where I was going was that the legions of fans would like to know your health status right now. I know you've been dealing with the radiation from the melanoma recently, and you're still doing that. You're, as you told me a few weeks ago up at stores, you're still a little messed up for it, but the prognosis is good? The prognosis is very good. I just finished seven weeks of radiation. Uh, <coughs> the surgery was... Uh, was successful, but the radiation, I'm told, uh, <clears throat> went well. Uh, it wasn't fun doing it, but uh, I'm grateful to have had uh, the opportunity to do it. And uh, unfortunately, right now, the the uh, toughest thing I'm I'm going through is is with the eye. The uh, the surgery. Uh, the, there were nerve endings that were affected, and as a result, I've had trouble with one eye, I can't close it. Uh, and uh, so we're hopeful that I have a doctor's appointment next week, and I'm hopeful we'll find out that uh, either they can do surgery for the eye or in time it's going to work. This guy's a fixture at Gamble in many UConn games, even at the age of uh, <clears throat> 85, D-Row. Tony, let me back up to your playing days for D-Row at UConn. Drop some names on some of your favorite teammates back in the day, the names that people are going to remember, and, the and you know, maybe the ones who people didn't realize had an impact on you as a player. Well, for obvious reasons, um, the ones that jumped out at me are uh, Jim Abramidas. Obviously, we were teammates in high school, and, uh, uh, you know, he was uh, chose to come and, and join me at UConn, and we shared a lot of great moments and the room, roommates as well. Um, but some of the great players, I mean, Coach was very fortunate to, to, to know talent. And the likes of Al Weston, uh, John Thomas coming out of Louisiana. Ogaloosa, Louisiana. How he found, uh, you know, this young, this big, strong young man, you know, is a story in itself. He was a New England player of the year also. Exactly. And, um, you know, you, you look at uh, Joey Welton, another great uh, Connecticut product, um, and I think that was the, the mantra at the time. Coach said he wanted to get the best out of the state. Uh, you know, we had the Chico, and um, you know, we came in together. He kind of set the scene in terms of my determination because he was a very determined, uh, great player out of the south of the state. Um, you had a good fight with him <laughs> over in... Uh, <laughs> Mansfield Training School one day we were putting on an exhibition. That oh. was a great exhibition. Oh, that I is. thought you were going to. <laughs> oh, the old Italian, uh, Jamaican uh, passion came out. Yeah. Who, who won the fight? Oh, no, no. It was a handbag that's 12 paces. That's <laughs> yeah, no, no. Those are, that's how competitive it was. And I think that translated into us, you know, turning the program around and really going forward. You know, trying to make set the scene for what it, you know the program is today, and I think a lot of that has to do with Coach Rowe and, and the staff, and um, obviously it continues now with his um, you know supposedly retirement for the last 30, 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Hansen, who is from the brass city of Waterbury, he coached mm -hmm. me, Wayno. He did. <laughs> coached me, yeah. Exactly. How did he coach you, D? Take How did he coach you? 
he told me when to go in, when I, when I could take him out. I never could take him out. He wouldn't allow me to take him out. Well, I was thinking about the idea that, Tony, you've told me many times, and you just talked earlier this morning, what a mentor that D. Rowe was for you. Do you use that same approach with the, children, with, the, with the guys, and for that matter, whatever kids you coach as well, to be mentors to them when you're coaching over there in England? Absolutely. I think um, one of the things that um, Coach instilled in all of us was to, you know, use that energy or that passion that you have for the game, you know, to, to obviously become a better basketball player, but do it in the right way. You know, there's more to it. And the likes of um, Dr. Pappy and Coach, you know, instilled that in me to, to, you know, to forget about the nonsense that's going on and think about the more important things, which is, you know, the growing up the right way, doing the right things, working hard and, you know, for what you, what you, what you want and uh, earning it and, um, and making sure people have that kind of support around you. And that's the same kind of thing that I'm doing now for the last 25 years. 2007 must have been a pretty good year for you, Tony, because you were inducted into the Huskies of Honor along with your coach, D. Rowe, in the inaugural class. And also, you were named a Master of the British Empire in that same year. Not a bad year. But tell me about what that means. Right. Um, well, it's a culmination of um, someone recognizing you doing something special for young people in education. Um, I did not have any idea that the kind of things that I were doing was making any kind of impact other than around the people that I'm working with. Um, but it must have someone recognized it. And, uh, in fact, there was um, one of the um, superintendents in the police department, which we had a, a major partnership with, the Hoop Dreams Project and, um, and the Cleveland Police. And they saw the impact that we were having with some of the very challenging young people in, 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 in a working-class area and tough area. And uh, they put my name forward, and they started uh, watching what I was doing. And um, it went through a process, and next thing I know, unbeknownst to me, uh, I'm being uh, subjected to this um, very incredible honor of, uh, you know, bestowed by the Queen, called an MBE, and, uh, and I'm very proud of that. Do you meet the Queen with this? I was supposed to meet the Queen, and you got to remember that rambunctious part of me. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, honestly, um, I thought it was, you know, something that was good for other people because, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm haven't changed from the time Coach met me, and I'm just a normal he's, kind he's of from guy. From Waterbury, you don't need to. What does he need to meet the Queen for? So, Warner, you don't you don't know this, but the whole the, the whole government started chasing me. They said this guy won the award and he's got to come down and get it, and I had to go down and meet. Uh, but the Queen was busy that day, so it was one of her representatives. So I was very pleased. I didn't realize what was going on. They, they put like an APB out for you, <laughs> yeah, a good APB, and then they finally get you there, and she's busy. She's busy, so you know I wasn't very happy about that. <laughs> so, so. so do you get a medal for this, or yes, what's the? Yes, yes, I actually get the. Um, it's it's um, it's called a medal, a MBE, MBE medal. Um, it's supposed to bestow certain rights for the citizens, uh, residents of the country, to be able to do things, but um, I don't you know take advantage of it like I should but you know um, it is a fantastic honor I didn't realize uh, how big it was I've heard about these kind of things uh, you know it's right underneath being knighted by the Queen so I'm waiting for my next invitation you know to, to be knighted 
I tell you who will be very proud of that is he had a great high school coach who's athletic director back at uh, Holy Cross. Yeah, yeah Co Coach McDonald, Tim McDonald again, another um, very positive uh, influence in my life. And he's re he really great took... Great man, great man. Yeah, he really took a... Because uh, the product that he got was even more rambunctious uh, than what Coach Rowe had because he started the process of trying to trying to make me see that there's more to life than what's really going on with your hormones and things that are going on young people today. So should I address you as Sir Anthony Hansen? <laughs> do you get the no. Sir thing with that uh, MBE? I'm, I'm supposed to, yes, but okay. I don't. I, you don't have to do that. D, I think we've got to start calling him <laughs> Sir Tony. Wow, I'm glad I came down here this morning. <laughs> sir, I was only a corporal. I, I never, wow, I'm coaching guys that are Sir. And uh, Coach Rowe, let me get a little bit of your background too, because you, you had such a successful coaching career at Worcester Academy, and then you decided to become a college head coach at the University of Connecticut. Sixty-nine, seventy was your first year, and you actually had a pretty good year after a couple of rough years for UConn in the post-Fred Shabel area there. But what, what were your first thoughts when you came to UConn, and why did you take this head coaching job at UConn back in 1969? I I tell you what, Wayne, actually. In that day, people didn't think necessarily you had to be a college coach or a coach of a Division One team or, or, or at a, a school that had had a great history prior to my coming here uh, in so many ways. And so it was a, a special opportunity, but I had no idea of because I was at a boys' school at Worcester Academy. And we won all the time, and it was it, it wasn't at all like like college. I I sent so many kids on to college to play, but it was a it was a different time. And at the school I was at, I had full control of everything, and it was not at all like the the social scene that I was going to meet here. And, and Connecticut had, had a couple of tough years, and uh, a great history. So this this was a, a a totally different kind of a challenge, and quite honestly, I, I I never had an idea of how difficult uh, the coaching at this level would be. Not about the coaching part, but about the management of the kids. I was in a boys' school, a private school, and kids lived there. Some lived at home, but a good many lived there. So we had full control over the discipline. Discipline here at, at the time that I was coaching was not an easy project. And one of your players at Worcester Academy went on to become a tremendous sports writer for the Providence Journal, Bill Reynolds, and he wrote a very sweet tribute after a surprise birthday party for Coach Rowe from a couple of months ago. And he wrapped up the column by saying, and the lesson he gave me, even though he never knew he was doing it, it's one that in retrospect had nothing to do with basketball and everything to do with trying to help people. For I have seen him do this in so many ways through the years, have seen the way he always makes the people around him feel special, have seen him make people feel the relationships they have are the most important things in the world to him, have seen him nurture relationships through the years as if you were one of his guys, you're always one of his guys. A coach in the best sense of the word, a coach for life. Wow. Bill Reynolds. Thank you, Wayne. Did you see uh, this, car this article? Yes, <laughs> Billy was a, a. We nicknamed him. He got nicknamed Shooter because he was a great, great shooter and one of the best. He was all Ivy. He was a great star at at uh, Brown, 
and we have been close friends for a long, long time. He did the book on Bob Cousy. He's done maybe eight or nine books, and uh, a great, great writer, but a great player, and uh, I, ch we ch I cherish his, his friendship, but he was a spectacular player. But one of the greatest things with Billy, uh, he came to practice during a Christmas practice. You're smiling like you know what I'm going to say. And he had his girlfriend with him. And she wanted to... He said it was like two degrees outside, by the way. Did he tell you this? And that's what the story said, yeah. Oh, so as a result, I'm, gonna let, I'm not letting anybody in to watch practice, and I'm not letting her in. Then, then she wants to, he wants to have us stay in my office. I said, she can't stay in my office. <laughs> so she sits in the car, and that was the end of that romance for Billy Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Coach D. Rowe with a million stories. Speaking of the guys who like to shoot, uh, I guess that you always gave this guy... Tony Hanson, the green light? He was in charge. I, I wasn't in charge of him. He ran, he ran everything. I was just, I had a seat on the bench. I got booed once in a while. And, but most, more yeah, only Tony, once in a while. Well, I got booed more before he was there and after right. he left, I think. Yeah, 73 and 38, your best four years were when Tony Hanson was That's on the right. court playing for those, you. Those yeah. were good. I should, I should have kept him there as a postgraduate student. We would have done a lot better, I'm sure. Well, two things about his 1,990 career points. Number one, I remember that he went to, you guys went to Vermont and lost. I think Tony had 42 points in that game, which I believe was his career high. And then that trip, you're supposed to go from Burlington to Buffalo and play Canisius, but the game got snowed out. Thank God. If, well, but I'm thinking if you play that game, <laughs> oh, Tony, gets, got... Tony gets 2,000 career points. That's right. He didn't get it because it was a game that wasn't played. Oh, wow. Uh, I'll tell you what. You bring back a very, very bad point, Wayno. After that game, I would have shot everybody on that team in about five seconds. The, the Vermont, Vermont game? game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was not a good game. And that was I, on. I watched that game. That was on CPTV. I wasn't doing the games back then. And I, I think... George I, Early I think, did. I think the game was delayed for whatever reason, time-wise. I'm not sure. Was it, Tom? Yeah, I think there's a lot of snow up there in Vermont. That, yeah, they time. have a lot of snow. <laughs> they haven't gone away from it. But it, it was uh, was not the happiest night that I had, had in my life. Well, I'm sorry I brought that up, Dee. The other thing is that, you know, a lot of people, when they talk about West Balasukni and how far from the hoop he'd make those shots, well outside what's now the three-point line. And people always say, well, if they had a three-point line back when West played, he'd be the career-scoring leader and have more points than Chris Smith. Well, you know, you can play games with that. But Tony would have had the same opportunity. You didn't have yes. a three-point shot. But, no. Tony, you took shots from what would now be a three-point range, didn't you? Yeah, I think one of the things Coach wanted to expand my 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 level of um, ability. So, but yeah, it's 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 relative, really, because you know, um, you know, there are times when you know, Coach often looks back and said, "Well, if I have kept you in a little bit longer in that game, in that game, you would have got the 2,000." It's like, Coach, back then it wasn't about that. It was about what we did as a team. Yeah. And what, Absolutely. Yeah. But I also remember the day in Hartford when you passed West Balasuknia. There's a great picture of you and West holding a basketball there at center court, and yeah. be, that's when you yeah. became, at the time, the school's career scoring leader. That was a special moment, wasn't it? Exactly, yeah. West West was a fantastic player, legendary, and I, you know, I just couldn't believe that I actually had a chance to... You know, to to, to to meet up with him and uh, and surpass his, his, his uh, point total. Tony, you touched on one of the reasons you got the MBE from the uh, British Empire was the Hoop Dreams project. Tell me more about what that project is all about. 
It's um, it's it's sort of thing that's modeled after what UConn does um, with their sports uh, teams um, and players when they go into the community and give something back, you know, in terms of working with young people. I've kind of taken it a step further because of my teaching background, my education background, and uh, and married the two, where we look at not only working with the young people and and trying to be a positive influence for some of the peer group pressures and uh, things like drugs and violence and uh, and some of the ethnic um, racial issues that are going on in, in Europe at the moment. But uh, we kind of marry that up to educational um, accomplishments and that's something new, meaning that uh, once, once we work with the young people we want to see that they do well in school as well as um, whatever sport they're involved with. Speaking of married, uh, tell us about Sandy and the kids. Where did you meet Sandy? I met Sandy um, when I became a player coach um, in, in the Tees Valley area in England, and that was kind of the reason why I settled in that area. Is uh, she British? Yes, absolutely. She's from Gateshead in the northeast of England. So um, uh, 25 years, I don't know how she put up with me, but, you know, that's <laughs> that's a blessing. And tell us about the three boys. Ah, uh, yeah, we have three wonderful boys, um, to Greg, um, David, and uh, Alex. Um, um, David's actually um, fulfilling one of his dreams. He's playing Division One basketball at Abilene Christian University in Abilene, Texas. Um, the baby, who's now 19, Alex, is um, at the University of Leeds, and he's playing uh, basketball and, and also um, studying uh, uh, international business, and Greg is the teacher. He's the oldest. All right, Coach Rowe, equal time. Where did you meet your bride? In college, Middlebury College. She walked by my, she she drove me down here this morning. She's a saint. For the last three months, she's taken care of me like uh, I was the only child she had. Instead, she had seven, plus I was the eighth she, and under her, her jurisdiction. But uh, we met, she walked by my dormitory window, and I said, holy, mm -hmm, I am going to marry that woman. <laughs> Uh, I got a blind date, and I have not had a date since. That was 62 years ago. You haven't had a date with her since? With her. Nobody <laughs> else. She's a lone ranger. She's kept me under control. and uh, Like no one else could, right? She's, she's been absolutely an incredible woman, incredible. Well, she's just a great mother, great wife, and an incredible buddy. Uh I love her dearly, and we've had quite a life together. Sixty years uh, of bliss. Not always bliss, however. After losses, I wasn't the best guy in America, and uh, but uh, it's been a special, a special journey. All right, let's talk about some wins and losses, and one in particular on the, on the loss column was maybe one of your best teams ever with this guy, Tony Hansen, as a part of it. And that was when you got to the Sweet 16 in '76, and you lost to an undefeated Rutgers team. But to get there. What a wonderful season that was, including that crazy overtime victory over Hofstra. I think Joey Welton had the game-winning shot in that or the game-tying shot. And then, then you went on, and, and at that time, in 1976, that was a special moment for UConn basketball. It was a, we made the final 16. We lost to a team that had been undefeated and went to the final four undefeated. Uh, and that was our best team in, in my time there. And, and uh, I, uh, I think that that it was a, you know, in that day, New England teams, Holy uh, Holy Cross was the only team that had ever won the NCAA tournament, 
1948. 1940, uh, I think it was 47. But it, that's my hometown, <laughs> I don't want you. Okay. To, I don't want you to up me on anything in Worcester. But uh, they, that was a great team, Holy Cross. Had. Now you're going to look it up in a book and, and prove yeah, that I'm I got, I got the book that's got it, too, because uh, I wrote the damn book. That, that's good. You've got it all. <laughs> well, because the first chapter in the book that Bob Porter and I wrote uh, had to do with the first significant UConn victory in 1954 at the old Worcester Auditorium when Worthy Patterson got the layup at the buzzer, and, and UConn Cross. beat that incredible Holy Cross team. Yeah, I, w I was at the game, and... Uh, we like the story, too, about how the ball rolled under the grandstand, and they only had one ball, and there was a delay before that inbounds play because they had to send some guy under the grandstand. took a while to get the ball out. Do you remember well, that? That, that? That slowed the game up a little bit, but uh, Worcester's Worcester, and it's uh, my hometown, and I've followed Holy Cross forever other than when we were playing them, but uh, they're winning, and all the great teams that they had in New England, no one had ever... Uh, Dave Gavitt's team at Providence, I think, had a good, they were in the Final Four, and others have been to the Final Four, but to win it was only Holy Cross in 47 until Jim Calhoun has done his absolute magic. By the way, the, the, book, of Connecticut. the book confirms you're right here, by the way. It says their 1947 team, coached by Doggy Julian. Doggy Julian. By the way, have a name. That's a name. Won the NCAA championship and finished 27-3. and A freshman on that team was Bob Cousy. The Crusaders were New England's only national champion until UConn's first title 52 years later in 1999. And, and you know what, Wayne? I spoke at their 50th reunion uh, of that championship team in, in Worcester, and uh, Tommy Heinsohn was the MC for that event, and he played years later. But uh, a lot of the guys were back, and Mrs. Julian was there. Doggy had passed away, but... I had uh, many years ago scouted for Holy Cross uh, for Dartmouth when Doggy was coaching up there. Great team, great coach, and some great people. But until Jim Calhoun performed his magic, nobody had done the same. Not yeah. even close. Well, now they got four national championships up the road in stores. And say a couple of words about Dave Gavitt. Dave Gavitt was legendary. The the Big East clearly was a major player in UConn, becoming what it became under Jim Calhoun. But but you and Dave Gavitt go back a long way, and really it, you almost gave Dave Gavitt his first job, didn't you? I gave him his first job in coaching at Worcester Academy as my assistant. Uh, he was like a brother to me. I was his assistant with the Olympic team. I was his assistant with the U.S. national team. And one of the most brilliant people uh, and one of the finest guys I, I could ever know. And I was privileged and to be part of uh, his family, really. We were very, very close. He uh, went from us to, uh, I think he went to Worcester Academy to work for about Four thousand dollars, I think. Maybe I, I forget what he got paid at Holy at Providence for his first job. But uh, Dave's widow and family are very dear to us now, and uh, he made a difference in our lives here at the University of Connecticut. And speaking Great of the Olympic, man. the Olympic team, there was no Olympics because of the Moscow boycott. Right, but we we had the team. We uh, trained for a number of weeks at Kentucky. Two weeks there, I think, at the University of Kentucky. Uh, then we came back and we traveled around New England a little bit playing exhibition games and then after we picked the team and then we went on a national tour for eight or nine we, uh, games finishing including playing, Hartford yes and we finished playing the Olympic team of uh, 76 but Dave was a treasure 
one of my absolutely dearest friends, and there couldn't have been a better guy, and no one better for all that he did for the university as well. Tony, even though you lost that game to Rutgers in the 76 Sweet 16, is that on the short list of the most memorable games that you played at UConn? Oh, absolutely. Um, we've been kind of gearing up to you know to that level of accomplishment for many years, and to be able to do that in my junior year was a, a big, big moment for UConn and basketball and myself personally. And does competing at that level, meaning getting to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA, give you even more appreciation for what the UConn teams under not just Jim Calhoun, but Gino Ariam have done in the last uh, 20 or so, 25 years or so, on a consistent basis? Absolutely. Like I said, I think Coach Coach Rowe kind of got the ball rolling again and uh, passed the mantle off, you know, to Coach Perno and and his and his team, and, and then obviously to to Calhoun and now to Kevin Ali. But um, yes, uh, it's it's interesting. When I first went to Europe, um, you know, I was trying to tell people about the University of Connecticut, and um, you know, we're kind of like uh, uh, um, you know not so known. But now everyone knows what the UConn basketball is all about, and um, I just feel proud that being part of Coach Rowe's um, group and uh, obviously what, what's accomplished since then is absolutely nothing short of amazing. Was your last game in a UConn uniform an emotional game for you, Tony? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I kind of it was kind of surreal the whole experience. Um, like I said, I was a young, a bit rambunctious, and just you know just letting it happen and uh, lucky lucky to be around the right kind of mot- uh, and, um, motivation and people that can influence my life but you know to realize that this is it and now I'm uh, on to other challenges I'll, I'll always cherish the four years I've spent with Coach Rowe and the University of Connecticut. That was against Fairfield in the ECAC tournament in Hartford. UConn won that game 72-66, finishing on a 17-10 and season in Tony's last year. And I think, D, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the last game of your first year coaching at UConn. That was one of the most incredible games I ever saw when you lost four of your top eight players and still were able to beat Rhode Island. The slowdown game. The, the, the game... That game couldn't be done today because of the t- the, the clock, the shot clock. But yeah. uh, it was a, a miracle game for us. I sometimes think that I should have retired after that because the next two years were terrible. We lost some guys, and I didn't coach very well, and we had two losing seasons. And I think, thanks uh, to the late John Tono, who just recently passed on, and did so much for the university and for our athletic program. But uh, that 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 season, the first year, was very very special, and I cherish those memories. And thankfully, uh, the next two seasons, although they were not good seasons at all, they were terrible, uh, made me appreciate what happened thereafter so much more, and what are the miracles that have gone on with Jim Calhoun and Gino, and now Kevin so special and makes the game at the University of Connecticut very special not just in New England which was at that way back we were regional now they're national and worldwide I gotta ask you your backup center Phil Hoagland drove the lane with about a minute and a half to go and you were going to tell me he traveled. He didn't travel. Well, you know? that's another thing, too. But, well, he, <laughs> hey, D, if he didn't travel, he committed an offensive foul. Yeah, but that was but a, it wasn't uh, called. Uh, but my, my point is, what was that the play? Did you call that play, or did he I, I just was, do that on his own? I was refereeing at that time, but, but we needed all that. We needed it. It was a special time, and uh, it's a time that anybody who was there will never forget it. Anybody played in that game will never forget it. 
Very, very, very special. Yes, I was there, and there's a picture of Bob Stack, your leading scorer, took one shot in the game, and after the game, people are hoisting him up to cut the nets down because you tied for the yeah. Yankee Conference Championship despite missing four of your top eight players, including Tony Budzinski from Willimantic, about 104 degree temperature. And who's holding Bob Stack up as he cuts the net down? D, pictures in your office. Wow, it is there, and I'm so proud of it. But uh, it, it was a, a special, special night that. Any of us that were part of it will never forget. You didn't take my lead there, D. I'm holding Bob Stack up in the oh, picture. Oh, I, forgive me. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm aged. You know, every you know, time I'm, I'm in your office, I remind you of that. Well, now you better come back and autograph that picture. I would like All right. that. All right. Well, you'll be around a long time. So I, I got plenty hoping, of opportunities. I'm hoping, Wayno. My driver may give up on me, so I, I've got to <laughs> I don't think so. She hasn't given up on you yet. Thank no. God. It's amazing how much better a coach D. Roby came when Tony Hansen came to UConn. That's right. Yeah, and thank goodness that he made that trip from Waterbury. And I will always be grateful to his, his high school coach, Tim McDonald, and all those that helped along the way. Tony Hansen, who became a member of the Huskies of Honor along with Dee and also a member of UConn's All-Century team, which Dee is not on, and then also became a master of the British Empire in 2007. Not a bad resume of work and also the great work he's done with kids. And he's been a friend of me all these years, too. Tony, thank you for coming in. And bringing this guy with you. Thanks yeah. for having us. Well, you know, thank you so much. And I could not be more proud of this guy. Way beyond the great player he was is what he's done with his life. D. Rowe and Tony Hansen, our guests this morning on 14 WILI Willimantic.